Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, it's one of our favorite times of the week with Thursday Coast. And actually, it's been a good run for well over a decade. Marcos um, has joined me founder of Daily Coast and Civics to talk about all things political. Of course, Daily Coast being the largest online progressive community. Um, But I don't know, this might be it. Marcos um, is now in a bromance with someone else. Now, (laughs) we've been promoting his new podcast. And if you listen to the latest episode, you'll see what I'm talking about. The brief. Do check it out. Remember last week? And he's been talking about it more than last week. Remember, he was in Georgia. Now he's in the Mississippi. And if you hear the bromance between um, Marcos and Mike Espy, you know, I guess I'm pretty much old, old hat (laughs) (laughs) right now. (laughs) And uh, Mike had Mike had Marcos. At Mississippi can be purple and can have two black senators in the next five to 10 years. Um, and my favorite line, Marcos, was you said you're a one trick pony for Mississippi. And, and Mike Espy said, well, I'm riding that pony, too. So just imagine <laughs> two adult men bromance on a pony together. I think I, I think this is probably my swan song, so I can't compete with that. I- uh, can you come, Mark, if there's two black senators from Mississippi by the end of the decade, would you complain too much? No, I wouldn't. I'd be happy with it, too. I'd be happy with you. But I warned you. I said you were going to love Mike because Mike, Mike does good math. I said Marcos is going to be gone. And we are math dudes and walk dudes. I, as, soon as, I, as soon as I hooked him up with Mike, I knew you would be gone. He was, he's great, isn't he? 
Oh, he was fantastic. And and it was funny because um, I'm working on getting the Reverend um, Barber from North Carolina on to talk about North Carolina. And Mike Aspie tells me that, oh, he's been talking to Reverend Barber about Mississippi. I'm like, okay, great. So when I have Barber on, I'm going to want to talk about Mississippi instead yeah, of North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. I am absolutely, I know I've been, you know, Mark, when we, when we, I mean, we remember, right? It's been over 10 years where we were talking about Georgia, right? When I said there's 700,000 unregistered uh, African-Americans in Metro Atlanta alone. And that was about 10 years ago. And I kept talking about demographically, it's a, it's a, it's a purple state. And, you know, we, we talked about Georgia nonstop for the last 10 years. And then, wow, suddenly it happens, right? Everything we talked about took 10 years. That's how long it takes to build something on the ground where nothing existed before, no investment. And that's where Mississippi is today. Mississippi is treated, we, I mean, we know how Mississippi is treated just generally, right? It's sort of a backwater state. Um, it's one of the poorest, if not the poorest state in the country. It is last in college degrees in the country. It is, a, it is the fourth most rural state in the country. People don't realize this, right? You don't think Mississippi rural, right? But it is the fourth most rural state in the country. Uh, it only has one city with a population higher than one, than 100,000, and that's Jackson, 160,000. Only two other cities, more than 50,000 people. I mean, this is not a typical state where you're looking at where Democrats are making their gains. They're making their gains in states that are um, hyper-educated in regions in the suburbs because of, again, education. Education is sort of the key point, right? So you look at Mississippi, you're like, education ain't going to, you know, ain't going to move those white people. There are not a lot of educated white people in Mississippi. Uh, what Mississippi has is a lot of black folks, right? It's 38% black, which is the largest in the country by, by a lot. I don't, I don't think any other state comes close. Then you have about another three to 4% uh, of miscellaneous Latinos, Asians, mixed race. So you're looking at about 42% 42% of the population is sort of a just demographically favorable to the Democrats if, if they were to turn out and vote. Now you look at projections and projections are having that black vote around 50% of the population in the next decade or so. So you have that and you think, well, even at 42% uh, people of color, shouldn't be too hard to be competitive, right? You only need about 10% of white people, you know, 10, 15, 20%. I mean, because not every not every person of color votes Democratic, right? But if you assume that voters of color around 80%, 80, 90% Democratic, you only need about 20% white voters to have a competitive state, right? Problem is in Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, the white vote's about 12% Democratic on a good year. 12% Democratic on a good year. And uh, and this is going back. I and mean, I was looking at John Kerry exit polls. You know, he got about 12%. Obama got about 12%. Like 12% is like sort of the solid. Um, it's where we've been locked in with that white vote. It is, it is, Mark, you know, it's, 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 it's a racist, non-educated, Rush Limbaugh loving, um, um, you know, white community. It's not, it's not suburban educated whites. It's not cosmopolitan urban whites. There's no urban, there's not much of an urban 
in Mississippi. I, and so that's why I, I, I admire you. it hard. I admire your word diplomacy, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had actually. <laughs> I thought I stepped over a line a little bit, but I, no, no, I, you, I was. You, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I was trying to choose my words carefully. There. <laughs> and so it's 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 uh, it's a challenge. I mean, it there Democrats haven't put any money there because they haven't felt like putting any money there. The Democrats that are there are black, which already is another strike against them. Right? Democrats don't have a history of supporting black uh, communities just historically, or Latino, or anything, right? I mean, even to the last election cycle, they were st still obsessed with trying to get back those rural white people they lost, right? I mean, that's their, their thinking. And that's because the donors are mostly white, the leadership is mostly white. I mean, this is just standard institutionalized. Uh, it's not, not as much as racism as, as a lack of really awareness of how race impacts their decisions and how that impacts um, those communities. So Stacey Abrams obviously shook everything up in Georgia, right? Changed change the whole dynamics there and, and not just built an organization in, in Fair Fight that, that registered hundreds of thousands of Georgians, but also helped encourage an ecosystem of organizations that really hyper-targeted various communities. So for example, there is a, uh, um, an organization in Georgia that targets, that works with just the South Asian Indian Desi community. And you think, wow, are there that many Indians in, in Georgia? No, there aren't. But, <laughs> you know, Biden won by 12,000 votes, right? You don't need a lot of Asian voters. You don't need a lot of Indian voters. You don't need a lot of Latinos to collectively add up to a number that, that was enough to, to barely win. And, and today I was doing some math. I hadn't done this before. But um, David Perdue, who was the incumbent Republican that John Ossoff ousted in the in the runoff election, he was in the first round. He was at forty nine point seven six percent of the vote. He was twenty thousand votes away from winning outright in the first round. Had he done that, there would be no John Ossoff victory in a runoff election. Mitch McConnell would still be uh, the uh, the majority leader in a Republican Senate. So. Um, all those votes, right? Just squeezing out, like leaving no community behind, taking no vote for granted, making everybody feel like they, they matter and are part of the equation. Change that. And Mark, as I was doing doing this Georgia math, the differences in in the runoff election, the drop-off was just dramatic. And you know, you're looking like keep looking at these black counties, rural counties in southwestern Georgia. And the turnout there was absolutely dramatically, uh, it was actually higher in the runoff election than it was in the general election. And you know why? It's because people finally realized, oh my God, my vote matters. And if I vote, we're going to have a black senator and holy crap, I'm actually going to go out and vote. And this is, this is just a simple idea of hope that when you're in a red state and you're a Democrat, you're like, eh. Like, why am I going to waste my time? Nothing's going to change. We're going to lose anyway. And I think that's where Mississippi is. Is There is incredible demographic strength for Democrats in Mississippi, but nobody has spent the dime trying to register it. Nobody has said, you matter. You actually are important. If you turn out, we can actually win. We can have somebody like Mike Espy as our senator. And there's so many other great talents in Mississippi that we can work to to get elected. And nobody's ever just even asked for their vote. 
It's just it's it's not done. So where Mississippi is today is is where Georgia was about ten years ago. It's sort of hopeless. We're a red state. Nothing's going to change. Racist white people are keeping us down, and they're suppressing our vote, and and they're still trying. In fact, they're trying right now in Georgia to suppress the vote again. Um, but it's uh, it's you got to start somewhere, right? And I I think finally is this idea that Mississippi's more and more people are realizing, yeah, Mississippi shouldn't be a solidly red state. And maybe it's a slight red lean at best if you look at the demographics, but that means that it can be contested. And SB only lost by six points, you know, in 2018 uh, when he ran for Senate back then, right? This is not a state that is that far away from being competitive. So uh, I know, I know uh, SB said, you know, five to 10 years, I think 10 years is probably realistic, but it by the end of this decade, realistic. So let's say eight, we can split the difference. Y'all got to check out the brief, though. Marcos is gone. He's gone. So <laughs> he's totally in the Mississippi. But I love it. And it's appropriate. I have to share this with you. I, I don't think they'll mind you, you. You were using your words very tactfully. I was on the phone the other day t- catching up with uh, uh, Jonathan Alter, an old friend. And, you know, he's got his latest book out about Jimmy Carter. And we were talking about a little history. And um, so as we were talking, he was talking about what Jimmy Carter had to do uh, to win the cracker vote in Georgia, the term you did not use. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's on the yeah. phone with me, the cracker vote. And his wife, Emily's in the background. Uh, Jonathan, you can't say that anymore. That's a bad word. You can't use that term anymore. And he was like, you can't, but isn't that what it is? He's like, no, you can't use it. So we had a couple of <laughs> But you, you, were, you, were, you were right on point. I guess we can't speak that way anymore. No, th- this is important. And, and, well, and Mike, Mike is addictive. I mean, because when I talked to him during the campaign, he had to talk me down from calling Chuck Schumer and jumping all over him for not sending him money. The numbers he put on that he explained to me back before November in comparison to the runoff he had in 2018, because he talked about just needing three percent more because he forced Confederate Cindy to that runoff in 2018. And if a few more of those kids who helped bring that flag down had come out and he had a few more dollars, we might be having a different conversation right now. And so I was ready to mobilize people to go and, and take out Chuck Schumer. But, you know, he talked me out of it. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's attractive. It's sexy. And I think that you're right. It's something we can do. And, and I want you to hear what Marco said, too. Um, it's not just African-Americans. We saw that in Georgia. The Asian community in Georgia. Now, I think total I read you know, there were six figures of, of voters in the Asian community total that made a difference in Georgia. And you, that might not, you know, 100,000 people may not seem like much. But look how close those races were. It does make a difference. So it, same thing in Mississippi. You got and what Mike said, what he said to both of us, too, you, you there's the uneducated population. But then there is the educated population. It was the it was the university students who were able to get help to get those flag that flag taken down right away after George Floyd. And and what Mike is saying, if again folks why important, when we go away to college, you can register to vote in most states or change do whatever you have to do to vote in that state in which you go to college. And that's what Mike was saying. That can make a difference too. So so Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, you bring in people, they're getting educated and they have a different, different mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- this this is this is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be following up 
On, yeah, on even you know, you, you talk about the Asian community, and on the brief, we actually had one of the chief organizers of that of um, trying to get that Asian vote out, and it was about a hundred thousand votes, and out of five million votes, so you look at you know a hundred thousand votes, what is that? That's like two percent, like uh, you know, two percent. How much energy are you going to expend on two percent? Um, if I recall correctly, Democrats won that vote about seventy thirty. It was it was about a forty point victory. So you're talking about a net forty thousand votes out of five million cast. Does that matter? Well, Joe Biden won by twelve thousand votes, and uh, like I said, David Perdue missed a runoff by twenty uh, twenty some twenty five thousand votes. That was the difference. Now, was it only the Asian community? No, right. It was also the Desi community and the uh, and the Latino community, and of course the black community, which was such a huge block in, in, in Georgia, but you needed all these pieces. And so this idea that this traditional idea, and I know, you know, Mike Espy and I <laughs> complained about it. It's like you come in at the last minute and jump in a couple million dollars and the, all you can do is put it on TV ads, which are useless. Liter they're useless, useless, useless. So um, what you have to do is you have that money. If we could, you know, $600 million, I think was spent in the, in the Georgia runoff, you take that, all of it, almost all of it on TVS, you take half of that, $300 million, and you put that on the ground in South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, uh, Texas, Mississippi, uh, you actually could build something that would dramatically change the equation, and it would be long-lasting, and it would be empowering, not just sending money to TV stations and our corporate overlords and 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 bleeding people who who desperately wanted Democrats to win and gave their $20 on that blue. And it was just all pissed away. And it's, it's an insult. And, uh, and we still need to do more organizing in places like Arizona. It's not, it's not a blue state. There's a lot of gains to be made there. And then let's not even talk about places like North Dakota with the, with the large Indian reservations that are, are woefully underperforming voting wise, because they've been so again, neglected and ignored and, and right. suppressed. There's right. so much we can do with this money if it was better targeted than TV ads. And but nobody got rich. No, no political consultant got rich on, you know, getting the Desi community in Atlanta organized to vote. Right, right, right. But nobody did, made money. But we see the difference that it made. Absolutely. Um, moving quickly. Speaking of making money, fifteen dollars. Uh, interesting politics brewing. Uh, some Democrats beating up Kamala Harris for not overruling the parliamentarian, um, which I, mean, I guess she could do, but she's not the problem, is she? W uh, no, it, no, she couldn't do it. You, you actually need a vote, and it needs to be a majority of the Senate. She would have voted yes. I mean, I had no doubt. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are being, you know, jackasses. And um, this is the problem with near attendance nomination as well. It's the problem. I, I guess we just found out that that the Senate is uh, lowering the the amount of income somebody can make to get to get COVID help. That's that's Joe Manchin. And, and, and um, I don't understand what he thinks he's getting for that. It makes no freaking sense. They're talking about offsetting the one point nine trillion dollars to, to get rural broadband. Um, just add it to the bill. At this point, money's cheap. What's one, what's the difference between one point nine trillion and one point nine four trillion at this point, right? Just freaking add it to the bill if that's what you want. But instead, there's this, I don't know, this sense that they that somebody's going to give them kudos and brownies and and cookies for 
giving people less help? You, it you, makes no sense. You didn't you speculate that he's thinking about running for governor or something? Is that what this is about? No, in yeah. fact, no, he's done. Uh, he's in fact, he's been more of a Democrat. To be totally fair, he's been more of a Democrat this last couple months than he has ever been in his career. Uh, he was even, you know, he even was open to Puerto Rico and DC statehood. So he's he's and it makes me think he's like done. Like he barely won last time. His state's becoming even more Republican. Like he knows, you know, his his chances of survival are not great. So maybe it's just being an a hole to be an a hole and no other reason. Now, now Kristen Cinema, she thinks that she represents a red state, and she apparently didn't see what happened, you know, just now with Biden winning the state and Mark Kelly winning it even more comfortably. And the state is moving very quickly in our direction. I mean, it, it's a it's an accelerating trend. And if she's not careful in four years, she's going to be facing a primary challenge because right now it's, it's starting to be looking more and more that you don't have to be what she's doing to survive in Arizona anymore. She's not like I mean, it, she represented was Virginia. I'm a little more sympathetic. She's actually representing a blue state now. And it's yeah, it's very purple. But um She's not, I don't think she's doing herself any favors. So she'll be somebody to watch in the next couple of years. But Manchin, you know, he's just being, he's so used to being that crank who, you know, the fly in the ointment for so long that maybe he just can't escape it. And, and But there's not a single vote in the world. There's not a single person in West Virginia who's like, I wasn't sure about that Joe Manchin. But now that he's giving people less stuff. I'm, I'm happier. And the thing about the, you know, if somebody makes too much and they get this help, you claw it back in tax season. This is not hard stuff. West Virginians don't need $15. You know, I, Speak, I mean, speaking of poor, I mean, folk, they ain't, you know, rolling in dough, I don't think, are they? Yeah, no. And you know what? There, there's this sort of perception that, that or there's a narrative that if you live in a state that's a low cost state like West Virginia, that you don't need, like it would hurt to actually have the higher minimum wage, that people don't need that. And it's actually not true. I mean, people, um, uh, the living wage for, for West Virginia, like to be able to live at a middle-class you know, place, it's, it's, it's like $17, $18 an hour, right? It's not where they're at now. And what most people don't, like if you have a house, you inherited a house, then okay, maybe you're, you're okay, right? But if you don't own your own place, you don't have that built-in wealth, that generational wealth, um, you, are in a, you are in a bad place. And making less than $15 an hour doesn't really help you keep your head above water. Just doesn't. Even in a place like West Virginia. Yeah, no, it, does, it doesn't. Uh, I, I think they're trying to figure out a way to keep it in the bill. I don't know. But, but hopefully that, that will happen. Um, because because we need it. Um, yeah. Right. And one of the problems just really, one of the problems that we have is that we have this sort of cliff in like March 15th cliff or March 13th when the UI extension benefits expire. So it might have dragged on a little longer. Maybe Biden would have been more likely to fight for it if there was some breathing room to do that. But there's they're actually under the gun. And so everybody trying to slow it down because, oh, they want broadband this or that. All of it is is is. Um, really dangerous at this stage of the game and Republicans are doing everything they can to, to slow things down. Um, so yeah, limits, uh, 
space to maneuver. Are, are you disappointed about Neera Tandon? Totally. Totally. Um, you know, Republicans are still pretending they're not. Li- oh, I didn't hear what Donald Trump said at CPAC. I didn't. It, but, oh, they're very well versed on every tweet that Neera Tandon tweeted when she wasn't in government or, or anything like that. So that that's incredibly obnoxious. This idea that that Joe Manchin, who is now suddenly all about, oh, her tone, her tone's wrong. When he voted for freaking Kavanaugh, like, don't give me that crap. Like, don't, why pretend? And again, who, nobody cares about OMB director in West Virginia. Nobody knows what that even is. You're not winning anything by being a jackass about it. And that's the stuff that I don't understand. There's, there's a time to be a jackass when it's aligned with what your constituents want. And I'm willing to over, I'm willing to like deal with that. So if he wants to be an a-hole on, on choice, I would not like it. But at least you look at West Virginia and go like, okay, like he, maybe he doesn't have a choice. But this, nobody in West Virginia gives a damn. West Virginia, just for the record, it was Marcos who said you all don't even know what an OMB director is. I, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, but yeah, I mean. I, it makes most right. people don't know what an OMB director is. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Most um, nerds do. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We do. What is an OMB director? Um, so. Mario Cuomo. Um, I'm sure you have. Advocated- Not Mario. Not Mario. What? Andrew. What? I mean, I'm saying Andrew. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the father. Listen to me. Mm, yeah, I'm, no. no I'm that's cool. Me. I mean, dad may have that's sexually cool. harassed people, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Andrew. So um, what do you think? You know, you have always taken a, a consistent position in cases like these. And in fairness, you probably would have had Andrew resign for other anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you want him gone anyway. He didn't take this. The, the list is already, you know, the, the toll has gotten long. It's a long sheet of paper, like the receipts you get at the CVS. But um, uh, what do you think about this current situation? And and should because you know it's it, it's not uh, directly the same. It may not be an ideal analogy, but again, you have a near attendant. Whatever you think about what she said, here she's being held to a standard. And there are consequences just for tweets. And then a dude is accused of touching and kissing women and carrying on. And, you know, I'm not I don't have to resign. I'm just going to keep it moving. Um, I see a little of that in there. I mean, there aren't the two aren't sexual harassment situations. But um, again, it just seems that that a woman um, and God forbid a woman be forceful or assertive. I kind of always saw Nira as trying to be, I think she thought she was being comedic too. But, you know, I always felt like a lot of her tweets were less, just less nasty and more. I think she thought she was being somewhat humorous. You know how people join and play the, that's what I kind of saw her as doing. Now, I know everybody didn't take it like that and the, and the, the timing of the jokes may not have been what they were meant to be. But she's got to sit down while Andrew still stands. Yeah, uh, I mean, to me, I, I mean, Como's not even disputing the facts. So this is not even a question of he said, she said. There's no, there's no ambiguity here. There's no interpretation. Uh, his whole thing is like, I'm sorry she took it that way, right? It's like there's, there's, 
no other way to take the kind of stuff that you know he was doing. And of course, the floodgates started opening up, and you realize that it's systemic behavior, right? This is not a, a one-off mistake or an errant, you know, offhand comment that was misconstrued. And like he he has a he has a history of this, which in this day and age, if you're still at behaving that way, it just blows my mind how freaking stupid you have to be to not just rein it in. I mean, it's, 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 it's gonna come out. And um, to me, like the, obviously I'm just consistent. Obviously he should resign. And uh, I only have to go back to Al Franken, who I actually admired and loved and respected. And I called for him to resign to show that I've always been consistent. So this is not that I don't like Andrew Como because I really do not like Andrew Como, And I think he's an a-hole and I think he gets too much credit for things he doesn't deserve. And, uh, and even, you know, now that we're finding out that he underreported deaths in, in retirement homes, COVID deaths to, so things didn't look as bad. Like he's just not a, he's not a good governor. He's not a good person. Um, this, I think it just kind of, pushes it over the, and I always wish he would resign, but now it's like, you really have no choice and he's going to cling, right? He's going to do what, what that asshole governor of, of Virginia did, right? When, when all the blackface stuff came out and he refused to resign as well. And um, it's unfortunate that there isn't a mechanism to get him out there more easily, but he should absolutely do it. And I'm actually pretty proud of our party that, that, there, I haven't seen anybody defend him. Um, part of it probably is the fact that he's alienated so many people by being such an asshole over the years that that <laughs> there's some Schadenfreude going on right now. But um, he, uh, he he should go and he should be drummed out of polite society. If he refuses to go, you know, I guess we can't make him leave. But then he shouldn't be taken seriously and he should be beaten every chance he gets uh, rhetorically. Because I, I think there's still, in his mind, some presidential aspirations. Uh, no, really. I think there are. And, and you know, I don't know. This is going to be interesting because yeah. then you have to wonder, well, if they investigate him, then what do they do? Are they going to charge him? You know, probably not. I mean, he might think this will just blow, blow away. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand what he thinks his outside investigation is supposed to look at because he's already admitted that everything that these women are claiming actually basically. happened. Yeah. Basically. So um, is he looking for a legalese? Did he cross a specific legal line? Who cares? Like, did he cross an ethical line? Sure, it's obvious. And the fact that he's not clearly seeing it um, as he was doing it over and over and over again, being creepy and 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 disgusting, um, sort of shows that he just doesn't have the judgment necessary to be representative of anything, much less a governor of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Had the wrong Cuomo, y'all, but I have the right one now. Folks, The Brief. Also, check check out DailyCoast.com. Check out Civics with a Q. Uh, this is great. And you should really hear, really, you should hear the conversation between Marcos and Mike Espy. It's a great conversation, and it will inspire you as well. Thanks, Marcos. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Everybody, please wear your mask. We're not out of this yet. And We're let me not also- out of this yet. Let me, yeah, please don't listen to Greg Abbott. And I mean, just crazy. What is the point? Trump's not in office anymore. Why are you rushing? What are you trying to prove by we knowing are, We are six weeks away from herd immunity. Six weeks. You can't we wait. Got, six weeks. Can't wait. Just wait six weeks. Can't do it. Can't do it. 
Um, also, let me mention to the audience, uh, SelmaJubilee.com. Go and get registered. The uh, Bridge Crossing Jubilee, the largest annual civil rights commemoration, is again this weekend, Bloody Sunday, March from Selma to Montgomery. It is virtual. So go on SelmaJubilee.com and register. Thousands have already registered. You do not want to miss this historic occasion from the comfort of your own space on your laptop, your phone, or what have you. SelmaJubilee.com. Okay. Mark, that's, uh, that's awesome, and I want to go in person next year. Yeah, we've been I saying really, that. Really, yeah. well, well, please, join us for the virtual this weekend. You'll, in, you'll enjoy it. It's, we've got something really, really special planned. A lot of great people are going to be there, all your favorite celebrities and favorite celebrity elected officials. Even Speaker Pelosi is going to be there. We're going to have a ball. So SelmaJubilee.com. Yes, yes, awesome. yes. Awesome. Thank you, Marcos. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.